Nora. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 17, or not 17, uh, 7 to 14 today. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want a quick question for all the, the women here today. How many of you have told your significant others this week that you don't really want anything for Valentine's Day, but secretly you're kind of wishing that they kind of did give you something? Hands up if you're kind of like that. Nobody? Okay. Like, well, <clears throat> I, I don't know about you, but I, 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 one of my uh, love languages is that I like gifts. Uh, and I find myself... Uh, thanks, babe. <laughs> I find myself a very gifted person in one sense, not meaning that I have lots and lots and lots and lots of talent, but I've received uh, very many gifts. I love going to youth group as a kid because it proved beyond the shadow of doubt that there were go- girls going down to church who were under 65 years of age. And one day, I found one. There she was, fourth row back on the left, the absolute dream of every guy who seeks permission to borrow the family car, Mr. Vince's daughter, Elizabeth. And uh, she has been a great gift and uh, from the Lord in a great opportunity. We met a youth group. Our story has been 10 years in the making. That's us when we looked younger. And uh, then I got a second gift. Does anyone know what that guy is? Who's that guy is? His name is James. Born on March 29th, 2016. And that guy is a fireball of activity. And I just love him so much. And then also, who could forget the gift of salvation, the fact that we are here today because God gifted us the fact that we are saved. Can you guess what we're going to talk about today? Gifts. We are going to talk about spiritual gifts this morning. And now, if you have never been to church before, and uh, you've never heard the term spiritual gift, and I know that most of us have, Let me just give you a a quick recap. A spiritual gift by definition is a supernatural ability given to a believer by God so that believers working together can accomplish three goals. And I'm going to tell you what those three goals are later. But essentially what you need to know is that they are unique abilities or attributes that allow us to serve one another and build the church of Jesus Christ. There are at least three distinct lists in the New Testament. Someone includes someone more. One comes from uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 68, uh, 6 to 8. And another one comes first from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And another one, which we are going to spend most of our time today, comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 14. And uh, when we approach the issue of spiritual gifts, I got to do a little disclaimer here and say that it can be messy, awkward, and actually uh, a controversial subject to talk about in church. And uh, for that reason, uh, I found that sometimes what winds up happening is because we don't want to fight, because they're awkward, because they're messy, they're weird, we don't really understand them. It's just easier to put them in the category of embarrassing doctrines. And do you know what I mean by embarrassing doctrines? It's, it's stuff 
that we believe that because it's in the Bible, but we don't want to talk about it because it's, uh, it's too controversial, right? So stuff like maybe the sovereignty of God or heaven and hell or just things like that, things that most Christians believe but don't actually you know, take the time to talk about because we're, we, we know that it's controversial and so we don't actually want to talk about them. But when you read your Bible... And you were looking through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians tells us that concerning spiritual gifts, the Bible does not want us to be uninformed. That's what it says. Okay? So this morning, what I am going to do is I'm going to ask Elizabeth to come up here and she's going to read the text for us. And I'm going to actually give you four observations from the text about spiritual gifts that might or may not surprise you. Uh, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, because this is the first time that I've personally tackled this subject at church, I know that many of you have probably uh, heard the subject before. Um, I'm going to call this an introduction to spiritual gifts. So this, is, this isn't everything that you're going to hear about spiritual gifts today. I'm not going to pack that in. Uh, there's just way too much to talk about. But I just want to give you four observations really quickly about spiritual gifts because I think uh, what you and I need to understand is that spiritual gifts are a, are, are a blessing from the Lord. They're good for us. And they're one of the only things that I know can determine your purpose and calling in life. So with that, I'm just going to ask Liz to read the text this morning. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended... And, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I got it. Had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who has ascended far above all, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and from by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftness and deceitful schemes. Thank you, sweetheart. Okay. Well, that's a mouthful. Let's, uh, let's pray as we open up the word. God, as we come to this text this morning, we are addressing a subject in church where there's been uh, some uh, confusing ambiguity and fighting, and we just ask that you would help. Uh, you would give us the Holy Spirit to help us make the meaning of the text clear, and that we would be sensitive enough to hear your conviction in our own hearts, that we would need know what we would clearly need to change. In Jesus' name, everybody said, "Amen." So the very first thing that I want to let you know about about spiritually gifts is spiritual gifts is this is that we are equal in salvation but we are not necessarily equal in gifting. Let me explain that really quick. 
There are at least three distinct lists in the New Testament regarding spiritual gifts. And the gifts given are, uh, are diverse in use. I haven't listed all of them, but here are some of them. Some are practical. Some appeal to reason and order. Some foster order and logic. Other gifts are more abstract and intuitive. Some are used to invite unbelievers into fellowship. Others are used to foster love and build relationship with people. Others are to guard against false teaching. In short, what I need you to hear, the very first thing that I need you to hear about spiritual gifts is that they are diverse, but all are equal in value and all are needed. Listen to what verse 7 says about this right away. It says, says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So I want you to notice that word but, right? Did you see the word but there? Um, there's that word but. And the reason that there's the word but is it connects the last verse to this new verse. And the verse right before it says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father over all, and, and who is over all and is through all, okay? So what it is saying right there is that there's only one faith. There's only one God that we serve. There's only one Jesus. There's only one baptism that we are baptized into. We're not baptized into Muhammad or, or any kind of other faith. We're baptized into Jesus. There is only one thing that unites us, and that's Jesus Christ. We are united by one faith. But, uh, but, but there's a but, and the but is this. Here's another way of saying, in spite of being one, grace has been given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So you remember the sevenfold confession that all believers hold. There is one, only one universal church, there is only one Jesus, but in God's infinite wisdom, God has determined in advance just the kind of gifts he's going to give you, and they are different from the person next to you. Okay, That's what I mean here. The Holy Spirit has given you a set of gifts or gifts that are unique to you, and they are different from the person that is next to you. And not only has he given you spiritual gifts, he's probably given you more than one, and he's given you a different set of skill level in those gifts, right? So a question people normally ask is, can one person have all the spiritual gifts? And the answer to that is no. Romans, uh, I believe uh, 1 Corinthians talks about that, that the eye cannot be a hand and the, uh, the stomach cannot be the foot and all that kind of thing. And the idea is that not all are teachers, not all are apostles, not all of this, but we all need each other. It should be understood that even though there is unity and we are exactly the same in terms of our salvation and our need for Jesus Christ, there's, there's a sense that over here we're profoundly different. And that's really important because of two reasons. What it means is, 
is that we need you. Okay? You have a specific set of gifts, a specific set of callings from the Lord, and this church needs it. We need you at church. And this is one of the reasons that I'm firmly a believer that live streaming church just isn't enough. Do you remember me ever telling you, I don't know if I told you uh, when I first got here, that your relationship with God will involve people. You need people to go closer to Jesus. You need people to dive deeper in your relationship with God and become more spiritual. And you need people in your life in order to fulfill what God has asked you to do. And part of that is the idea of spiritual gifts. We need everybody's gifting. We all need each other. So you are important to the body of the Christ here. The second thing I want you to know about spiritual gifts is that, and I want to spend a bit of time on this one and the third one, is that spiritual gifts are costly. Please write that down if you have it. Verse, uh, verse 8 all the way to 10 says this. Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in brackets it says this. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, if you're a little bit confused by that, let me explain. This isn't necessarily a verse that is talking about the idea that Jesus went down into hell. It's saying something else. This uh, verse right here is actually a quote from Psalms chapter 68, verse 18. Okay? So when you're reading it in Ephesians, Paul is quoting the psalmist. And the psalmist says this, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and you receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. And you can see the comparison right there. Right? There's Ephesians 4.8. Therefore, it says, when it ascended on high, he led captives and gifts to men. So what's going on here is the psalmist is depicting a scene where God comes down and he wins a great battle for his enemies and he brings home the spoils of victory and he passes them out among, among all his people. And when Paul is using it here, he's quoting Psalm 66. He's using it to talk about Jesus. Jesus comes down to earth, and he has won a bat great battle on the cross, okay? And that battle, and when he's ascended into heaven, he divided up the spoils of victory, and the spoils of victory are his spiritual gifts. And here's what I, I need you to understand about this very clearly, is that, is that spiritual gifts, we're supposed to see spiritual gifts as a result of this hard-fought battle that was won on the cross. And because it was won on the cross, here's what I need you to understand. Spiritual gifts are expensive, okay? Because they cost Jesus his life. Here's where I'm going to come down for a moment and just be your pastor for a moment. At Manor, if there was a biblical truth, I think that we would need to uh, pick up our socks on. It's the idea that spiritual gifts are costly. 
I've been in a lot of churches, and uh, I've heard this saying before, and, uh, but I've heard it more here. I think some of us will go through our Christian lives, and when we're asked what our spiritual gift of us, what our spiritual gifts are, a great many of us will say, I don't know what it is, and I'm just content with not knowing what it is. And when I hear that, and I've heard that in all kinds of churches, but in passing, I've heard, that, I've heard that kind of line of thinking more frequently here. And when I hear that, I, I want you to understand that when we're content not knowing what the gift is that he gave us, I'm not so sure that we understand just how much it cost Jesus to give you the spiritual gifts. Okay? I've got an illustration that might help us. Uh, I don't know if it's a true story or not. Someone told it to me like what it is, but I don't really think it is. It's a, it's a story, of, it, it happens at Christmas time, and a 17-year-old man is waiting for his Christmas gift. And he suspects that his dad is, is going to give him a new car, and he's excited. I mean, what 17-year-old wouldn't want a new car, right? I mean, that's, I kind of wanted a new car. But Christmas Day came and went, and the only gift he got from his dad was a Bible. And he was upset about that, and harsh words were exchanged between the father and son, so much so that, fi- that silence finally ensued. And somehow there was never any reconciliation, there was never kind of any mends. they spent their whole kind of uh, life apart from each other, all because of this. And years went by, and... The silence came into division between people and eventually the father passed away and there was no chance to make up. In the course of time, the son took out the Bible again and there thumbing through it, he started thumbing through it because he never had because, you know, it was the source of the division between him and his dad. And somehow as he was thumbing through it, a slip of paper fell out of the Bible And the slip of paper said, son, congratulations, there's a new car waiting for you in the showroom. And he talked about which dealership it was. And it was this stunned realization that the the son never really understood what exactly the Bible represented for him. And you know, I don't really think that's a true story, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that the story has many lessons, but one of the lessons is sometimes we receive a gift and don't really realize the value of what we've been given. Okay? And sometimes you and I need to understand that when we receive a spiritual gift from the Lord, we have been given something very valuable from God. And God, by his Holy Spirit, is saying, I am passing out. I have won a great victory for you. I've died on the cross for you. And I'm going to ascend into my throne. And on the way, I'm going to give you the spoils of war. And here's a spiritual gift for you. And here's a spiritual gift for you. And I'm going to be able to tell you what your calling and your purpose in life is. And many of us are not content with knowing that. And I want to say to you that I, I, I wonder if you realize it's because you, you, you don't understand how costly it was for Jesus to give you those spiritual gifts. I believe that it is the responsibility of every believer 
Do you show faithfulness in discerning what your spiritual gift is? I don't care if you spend your entire life figuring it out. You go from one year old all the way to 80, and you die at 81, and you only have one year to figure it out. Please be faithful in figuring out and discerning what your spiritual gift is. Now, I'm not going to leave you hanging and drying in that, because I know the next question you might be asking is, how do I discover what my spiritual gift is? Okay? And my answer to that is a Dan Renton answer. Okay? And that's this is that your relationships always have, always are, and always will be a better method of discerning things like personality, character flaws, and spiritual gifts than quizzes. Okay? I don't have anything necessarily uh, wrong with spiritual gift quizzes, but let me, let, let me just tell you my heart on this, okay? There is a verse in Jeremiah 17.9 that says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I really believe that when it comes to our own self-assessment of both our strengths and our weaknesses, our sinful nature can sometimes taint our ability to judge what is going on on the insides. It's not like we can't self-jest. It's just that our self-assessment tests are tainted. There are too many blind spots when it comes to our own lives. And I think we need an outside perspective. And so in that, I would tell you that the, if you're going to do it, the best way to do it is to get other people to speak in your lives about your spiritual gifts. So there's two ways that I think you could do it practically. Number one is, is you get someone else to take the quiz for you, Right? Get three people that you value their opinion, that, that they see you in every aspect of life, and you get them to do it for you. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this, right? Let's say, and I just randomly picked these names. So I picked Joe, Tammy, and Matt. Let's say I asked them to do a spiritual gift assessment for me. And so they did, and Joe's top three for me were encouragement, discernment, and teaching. Tammy's was mercy, helps, and encouragement, and Matt's was service, encouragement, and helps. You notice that they're all different, right? They are all different. But they all would say encouragement is in there somewhere. So what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to say is that like, if you're going to do the spiritual gift test route, Get three people to do it. Get them to, uh, get them to do it. They're going to come up with different answers, but look for the one that's common in all three. That likely is your spiritual gift. Okay? The other way you could do it is you could try a gift and let someone else affirm it. Okay? This is my favorite way. This comes from Romans 12, verses 68. It says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And I want you to circle that word, let us use them. If it's prophecy, do it in proportion to your faith. If it's service, uh, in our serving, if it's the one who teaches, let him teach. If it's the one who extorts, let him extort, or that encouraged. The one who contributes, do it generously. The one who leads, do it with zeal. And so what you're seeing is like, if you have a spiritual gift, the NIV actually does a better job of translating this. The, the, this way, it says this, if you, have a, if you think you have a spiritual gift of leadership, then lead. 
right? If you, have this, if you think you have the spiritual gift of mercy, then show mercy, okay? So here's what I would do. I would, I would say, okay, I would take a good educated guess, and then I would try it out, and then I would let other people speak into my life and tell me whether or not it's true or not, okay? So if you, this is a great way to do it. I, I used to have a friend of mine, and you're going to wonder what kind of people I used to hang out with. But I, I used to have a friend of mine who believed that God gave him the spiritual gift of teleportation. Okay? See, now everyone's like, who, who, who does Dan hang out with? Really interesting people. Okay? And, of course, he's getting that from the story of Acts where um, uh, Philip meets the Ethiopian, and he's there one minute, and then he's gone the next minute, and he thinks that's a spiritual gift. So I said to him, okay, listen, I'm not going to argue with it, but i got to be somewhere speaking in a little bit, and I'm running late. Can you transport me there right now? What do you think happened? Nothing, right? If you have to force a spiritual gift, I don't really think you have it. So if you think your spiritual gift is administration, and your desk looks like it belongs from something from World War III, chances are your spiritual gift is not administration. Okay? If you believe you are a leader, but others don't follow you, you probably don't have the gift of leadership. Listen, when people lead, lead when leaders lead, there's two reasons why people follow. One, because they have to. There's a leader put an authority over them, like a boss or something, and they have to follow them. But then there are other leaders who people follow just because they, they want to. That is the spiritual gift of leadership. If you are able to lead people without coercing them or doing something like that, they just naturally follow you. If you think you have the spiritual gift of encouragement, but your encouragement makes people want to hide in a corner and rock back and forth, your gifting needs a little work. Okay. If you think you can lead people in worship, but you make people's ears bleed, I don't necessarily think you have it. Right? If you have to make up a language to think that you have a spiritual gift, my guess is that you probably don't have that gift either. But my point is, is that the only way to know for sure is really to try. Okay? You have to try. It starts with taking an educated guess and allowing others to affirm or deny that reality in your life. So if you're a talented teacher, I don't actually think you need to self-promote it. People will affirm it for you. If you're a talented speaker, I'm, and this is why I don't ever self-promote me, I just kind of think, listen, if I'm good enough, people will say it, that I'm good enough, and if people don't think I'm good enough, people won't say anything. Right? But it requires you to allow people to say the truth into your life, and that can hurt, right? I want to tell you a quick story about this. Uh, uh, years and years and years ago, I graduated from college, and I was looking for a summer job, and I decided to work at College Pro Painters. Do you know those guys? Those guys that paint the houses really quick and uh, do it for a summer job? Well, I decided that I'd do it, and there's a technique to it. You have to do it. Here's the technique. You have to do it good, and you have to do it fast, right? That's how they make their money. After a week, 
the boss came to me and said, Dan, I don't know what you went to school for, but I think you should find a job uh, on what you graduated college for, not this. <laughs> right? I was bad at painting. My point is, is that someone took the time to actually tell me this isn't, this isn't something that you should do. And my point is, is that I think that if you want to know truly what your spiritual gift is, you should allow people to say, I see this in you or I don't see this in you. This is why we need the church. This is why you need your relationships with one another. Okay. So thirdly, I'm going to write this here. Spiritual gifts protect the church against entertainment, consumerism, and building the church around a pastor's personality. Okay? If it's something that we can agree on, it's that there are churches that are, <clears throat> that are too entertainment-driven, and that there are churches that are too consumer-driven, and they will sacrifice truth uh, for that. And I want to say that it is all churches are in danger of falling into being entertainment-driven, consumer-driven, or personality-driven. Every single church. Doesn't matter where they are. Doesn't matter if they're in the inner city or in a third-world country or they're in rural Alberta. All churches can fall prey to that at some point. And I want you to let you know that spiritual gifts are a way that God has uh, given us in order to protect the church against that. Let me explain this uh, really quick. Uh, I know that some of us come from a tradition where we're accustomed to calling the pastor the minister. And he's the individual that serves. So when something's not done, like, you know, the Sunday school needs to be shored up, or we go to the minister and say, what are you going to do and fix this? And there's an issue, if there's an issue about the building itself, like the air conditioning isn't working or the heating isn't working, we go to the minister or the pastor and we say, can you make sure the proper contractors are called? And when the budget needs to be addressed, we're going to say that the minister should do that. And when we're asking our minister to be at every single meeting uh, so that he knows and is in charge of everything, so it seems to us that this is what church should look like. The ministers do all the work and we receive their work, okay? They're the hired hand and we are the recipients. And there's a problem with that. There are two major problems with that, okay? The first is, is that uh, what we're left with is that we are left with a consumer and producer mentality to church. Pastors produce everyone else consumes, okay? And then here's what happens is that we wind up being critical of how the pastor is doing. And this isn't just, this isn't, uh, you know, me kind of saying this is the way I feel about matter. It's not. I think we do a good job here with this. I'm, I'm just kind of pointing this out. Um, when the, past, uh, the, the pastor produces, we consume and we become critical of how he's doing. We become consumeristic and what winds up happening is we build the church around the pastor's personality. So when the pastor leaves, all the ministries in the church suffer. The youth groups suffer, the budgets suffer, everything suffers because we've built the, the personality, uh, we've built the church ministry around what the pastor can do and not do. Okay? 
But I want you to, I don't know if I got it on screen here. I, I, um, I, I, I want you to look at what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says. Concerning the church and the believers of Christ, it says this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Let me read that again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You are a royal priesthood. In other words, who is the minister at Manor Gospel Church? Is it me? I want a response. Who's the minister? Everybody. Everybody. If you call the Lord... Uh, if you call Manor home and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're the minister. Everybody is the minister here at the church. Okay, And I want you to catch this. It says, in, where do I get this? It says this from a, uh, verses 11 and 12. And it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So in other words, he gave the gifts to the church, right? Jesus died on the cross, rose again, he ascended, and he gave gifts. What gifts did he give? He gave the church the position or gift of apostleship, uh, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And why did he give them to the church? To equip the saints for the ministry for building up the church. So in other words, when you look at that list of gifts or positions, uh, those things, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, those specific gifts or positions of the church, there's debate as to whether or not it's, it's the, those are offices or positions or gifts or they're spiritual gifts. I'm going to say they're gifts. I don't really have time to get into this, but... Please, if you want more, I can, I can write it down later and we can talk about it later. But those, those areas, those giftings, those offices are there for a specific reason. And that specific reason is this, is that they are there to make sure and equip everyone else in the church for ministry. Okay? So listen very carefully. Everyone has a description or everyone has a thought about what the pastor's job should be of the church. But one of the, the biblical uh, uh, mandates of the pastor, of the shepherd teacher role, is for me to teach you how to do my job. Okay? So that you don't need one. Of course, you, you need a pastor. But my point is, is that the entire church should be serving, okay? And those offices, those things, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and teachers were given to the church in order to train everyone else how to do the ministry in the church. Do you see why, do you see what I'm trying to say about the spiritual gifts protect against consumerism, Right? Because in this mentality, everyone is ministering. Okay? Everyone is pouring out. Okay? Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Is, is that people are equipped and they are teached with the word of God. And it has to be done in such a way where all God's people are prepared to be ministers of the gospel. Who are the ministers? Ministers are every single individual person in the local church. 
And so that's, if that's you, that you're supposed to be finding what your gift is, and you're supposed to be being trained well enough in Scripture so that when you use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you, you're not going to use them in an unbiblical way. That's what that list is there for. But you are a member of the gospel, so that's the point, is that the pastors and teachers and apostles equip you to do the ministry yourself. And watch this. It's for building up the body of Christ. Who builds up the body? Christ. Everyday followers of Jesus do. And we do it till we're all spiritually mature and we've been trained in the word of God. Okay. So when I was interviewed here, when I first came here, someone asked me, Pastor Dan, what direction would you take the church? And my answer at that time was, I wasn't sure because I needed a few years to see where God had taken the church and discern that from where to go. And I really believe that the next step for Manor is to be a serving church. Not that we're not a serving church already. Not that we're not pouring out already. But I would say that the next mark of maturity in your life and in my life is to be a people that serves. Okay? See, the thing is, is that you just can't take in and be taught and blessed and hear the worship music and hear the community and, and have that and not surf. Okay? It's been said, do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? The Dead Sea is dead because it only takes wa- in water and never gives out. And so for a great many of us, we're, we can sometimes be spiritually dead because we're constantly taking in and we're never serving. And we don't know what our spiritual gifts are, and we're not actively using them in the body of Christ. And so that's what the point is all about, is that this passage is really a call for the church to serve. So I've said this before, and I want to challenge you on this. And, and, and you, you can wrestle with whether you think this is a good idea or not, but when you come to church on Sunday morning, and you come and you look out at everybody here, the primary mentality that I think everybody should have is that this is a place for you to serve. Okay? That you come to Sunday morning to serve, not to be served. And I, and, and I know that some of us have had a hard week, and I know that some of us, you know, it's all that you can do to come here, and you just need to be refilled, and I get that. And of course, if that's where you are, then let us bless you, let us encourage you that way, through the fellowship, through the, for the worship, through, through the reading of God's word together. But here's, here's what I know, right? Here's what I've seen uh, that happens. If the entire church comes with the mentality of feed me, pour into me, um, uh, take care of me, then what happens is only a few people are blessed. Okay. But if everybody who considers man or home comes in with the mentality of serving, who can I bless? Who can I love today? Who can I sit beside? Who can I pray with today? Who needs a really awkward handshake at the beginning of the service? All those kinds of things. Okay. Then everybody will be blessed in the church. Okay. Everybody will be blessed in the church. Okay? If we all come in with a servant attitude, we all get poured into. If only some of us do, only some of us will be blessed. Okay? And I can't do it all myself. I think you know that. 
Okay. Lastly, and I'm going to close with this, is that spiritual gifts, their goal in their entirety is for them, to, for us to meet maturity in the area of relationships, unity, and doctrine. Listen to what it says here in verse 13. Until we all attain the unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature or fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftfulness and deceitful schemes. The goal of any spiritual gift, okay, in my opinion, is to do three things. To make sure that we are mature in unity, to make sure that we are mature in love for one another, and to make sure that we are mature in doctrine. Okay? And when everyone serves out of their gifting, the unity of the church is kept, we love each other well, and we are not carried away by every wind of doctrine. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm not, I'm not really concerned about heresy inside the church. That's always a thing. But you know what I'm concerned about? Where I think heresy happens inside the church? The internet. Right? A lot of people, we have access to uh, thousands upon thousands of Bible teachers and we need the spiritual gift of discernment. We need good pastors. We need good teaching to teach us what exactly it is so that we are not driven by every wind of doctrine out there. Okay? Do you remember what I said years ago? You can't love God without being good at loving people. And most of us, most of what God asks you to do is in the context of relationship. Your spiritual gift is supposed to be a blessing on your life. It's supposed to give you direction on your calling and what you're supposed to do and your purpose in life. But it will never be a blessing until you use it to serve others. So my question for you is, what's stopping you from serving in church today? Is it because you're not really sure what your spiritual gift is? Let others... Let, other, let others speak into your life. Is it because you've come with the mentality that, you know, I've done 20 years and I've done the Sunday school thing and now it's time for someone else. I've done my bit. Friends, that's not the mentality of the church. You serve until you pass away. I think that our church needs to be a church of Joyce and Clarence's. Amen? Right? You don't know what I mean by that. Joyce and Clarence are this great couple at our church. And how old is, how old is Clarence now? 90. Okay. Do you know why he's not here at church right now? You want to know why? Because he's at the lodge right now, setting up all the AV equipment, all the TV stuff, all the internet stuff, so everyone in the lodge can be blessed by church service. So there's Clarence in his 90s, and if there's anybody who had a reason to stop serving, it would be Clarence. Okay? But here he is in the lodge, blessing and serving and ministering to people. And that's what we should be as a church. We should serve as much as our health lets us, and we should pour in and pour in and pour in. And if we do that, 
I think we're going to see some really cool things happen. Amen? Amen. And let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And we pray, thank you for what your word says about spiritual gifts. We pray that you would, make, you would help us discern what our gifts are and help us remember how costly and valuable they are. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.